Hello, everybody. Welcome. Do we do it now. <laughs> hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. Of course, we're excited today, breaking the mold and all that other stuff, because today we have a very exciting episode. But before I get into that, I want to acknowledge that I'm here with my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan. And this is completely falling apart, much in line with the societal structure of the book that Ah. we have just read. I am, of course, referring to The Wisdom of Crowds by Joe Abercrombie. Guys, we have made it. It has been over a year now since we began this journey with the first Law Trilogy. We've read through and recorded discussions on all of those books. We did the standalones. We did the short story collection. And now Sharp here ends. we are. Sharp and shout out to We had the man himself, we Joe Abercrombie, on FTF. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you do, it's one of the rare episodes that we actually put a YouTube video up just because we, we needed video evidence <laughs> that Joe Abercrombie was actually on the show and it's, it wasn't just me doing a British accent. Mm-hmm. So you can see him bopping his head to our intro back, back when we used to do the extended intro. <laughs> watching so. him bop along to the extended intro. Oh, one of those moments of joy and then... And, and feelings of accomplishment that uh, ranks very high for the show and for me. And and I'll get into that a little more because, you know, we, we're here at the end of the first Law universe as it is today with the wisdom of crowds. And um, this series, these episodes that we've done are some of my personal favorites. And when I look back and see, like, the reception that some of these get and the fact that we were able to cultivates some of these first law fans together and have them listen and support by continuing to listen and culminating with getting an advanced copy of the wisdom of crowds being able to have that in my hands and read it before it came out and then being able to interview joe abercrombie it, it, it's such a, a a pleasure and something i'm super proud of and and thankful for Oh yeah, I of course feel the same way. It's it's been interesting because I I don't exactly know how we tapped into this Joe Abercrombie fan base in the way because I mean when we look at our our download numbers and those kind of things, I mean some of these episodes will get like twice as many downloads basically, right. or some even more than that. Uh, than uh, some of our other episodes and I mean it it just kind of happened I guess they kind of I think and it's been awesome for us because this is one of our if not our favorite series uh, and I guess I don't know if I could have picked one series for us to be kind of known for mm-hmm. it would be this one and I'm, I'm so happy that all you folks have been 
tuning in so consistently, even after we took such a long hiatus that right. you all came back for the Trouble with Peace episode. Book like two, I which is like, technically what seven book nine <laughs> of this whole <laughs> of this of this ten book adventure. So yeah incredible that you uh, you were able to come back and book nine after a six month hiatus or more longer however long more like eight or nine and almost a year between like our most recent abercrombie discussion which i think was the interview with joe right and then when we got back to trouble with peace i was like oh they're they've all probably moved on like are they even still aware like these extra first law fans that tune in for those episodes are they aware that we're still around? But you all came back. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's probably enough for our <laughs> retrospective yes. on the first law. We'll be, we'll be, don't worry, we'll still be having lots of conversations about the first law universe, even though we're fully caught up here oh, yeah. on FTF. Oh, yeah. And I'll say too, this episode, Charles and I discussed doing a bit more of this, like, zoomed out discussion bigger picture than rather gang rather than getting into all the like little plot points in the way that we did in like the trouble with peace episode um that's partially because we want to give some fodder for future episodes like we we did all these really fun like what do we call them character Um, studies character studies character uh, profiles something, something like that. that character profiles i think that's what yeah. we called them i mean we might even switch the name in the middle <laughs> it's of probably doing not inconsistent at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, on all the main characters from the original first law trilogy so if you want to listen to some classics like making a magi Ooh. and on on Baez, of course and then why does being realistic, do this Yes, being realistic about Logan Nine Fingers. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. maybe my favorite title. <laughs> and yeah, so we get deep into those and we plan on doing that too for the main characters of the Age of Madness trilogy. So stay tuned for all of those. And yeah, I think that's pretty well, much what I have to say we before could, we get well, into it. We could talk about Joe Abercrombie and these characters for hours and hours and hours. So we want to make sure we focus on this book. And I think the most interesting thing about it is kind of where it sits in this trilogy and then where it sits in this universe and the reaction that it has gotten, I think, are the most interesting conversations for us to have today. And that will involve getting into character stuff. But uh, just know that you know, we love talking First Law and we love seeing you guys come in and, and, and listen to it as well. So we will be continuing these discussions indefinitely. But for now, let's jump into Wisdom of Crowds, book three of The Age of Madness. It came out just over a year ago now and reviews have been kind of mixed for this one, wouldn't you say, Dylan? I would say relatively mixed for a Joe Abercrombie novel. Fair, yeah. Meaning that reviews have still been very positive, like they have been for every single work that Joe has published. Mm-hmm. But compared to some of the previous installments, this has received, I think, the most, like, it's been the most controversial of any of his books in terms of there's people who have a strong negative opinions about pretty much how he ended it i Mm -hmm. think 
and where thing where the plot lines uh, finished up. Uh, I think most of the people who are who have been most critical about it are actually the huge Joe Abercrombie fans mm. who think like this was not his uh, strongest uh, effort. I I don't know if it's effort is the right word. It's just. I think showing. a lot of them felt disappointed where things, yeah, showing uh, where things end up because I think the book is extremely well written. I don't oh see a lot God, of the like book cri- is incredible. Yeah, I don't see a lot of critiques of like how well written the book was. More just where Joe decided to go, and we'll, we'll get into that more. Should I should I give the spoiler warning? Yeah, now, definitely Charles, give so the can, spoiler yeah. warning, and let and I'll react to that. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to be getting into full-fledged discussion of the Wisdom of Crowds, which means any previous installments in the First Law universe are also fair game at this point. So mm-hmm. if you don't want those spoiled and or you haven't read those books yet, uh, now is a good time to turn this down your headphones because we're not going to hold back on nope. discussing. We came this far. We've read every that, word, yeah. every page. So um, now we're just going to get into it. So... Uh... If you don't you think you read it? Definitely word. check it out. I don't. I don't think so, man. <laughs> it's a lot of books to not. If anything, I've word. read all these books, most of these books twice. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> maybe a I few would of say the standalones. Read all these books. Are there any you did? Oh yeah, the heroes. Like, uh, the heroes. Sharp ends. Um, Red country, and then um, the first in the age of madness. I didn't read twice, but everything hatred. else I've read twice. Everything else. Yeah. Yeah, I've. I mean, at this point, I've read most of these. Like four more times uh and then the wisdom of crowd i think the age of madness i read each book three times except the wisdom of crowds which i've done twice now so and I'm feeling ready reading it twice is an interest is is what i think really helps solidifies my opinion here because a lot of people are saying oh not the strongest ending kind of left me wanting more i expected something more exciting or more definitive this that or the other and that was pretty much the exact opinion I had after finishing Last Argument of Kings way back when for the first time. I remember finishing it and being like, that's it? Like, it, it ends kind of with, oh, you know, Baez is kind of not a good guy and um, it's all kind of a farce and this, that, and the other. And being kind of like a bit underwhelmed by that realization. But when we reread it for the show and I went back into it and you see exactly like what this story is truly about the fantastic character work the strong voice and then like this like this really poignant view on society and government mm-hmm. and uh just storytelling in the fantasy world and storytelling in grimdark it's like it 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 won me over. And then the fact that there was more afterwards just added to the brilliance of when I was seeing, like, what is he really saying with Logan Ninefingers? What is he really saying with Baez and Dissolve and all these guys? So to come back and read Wisdom of Crowds for a second time and watch this society just completely, completely fall apart, it, it, it's, it's one thing for me. I'm like, this is a bold move for an author to, like, end their big trilogy in complete disarray or at least kick it off that way and the fact that he was able to commit to that and go into that it might not be that satisfying story structure that we expect from a third book in a fantasy series but it's different and it's unique and 
he takes us there, man, and he commits to it. And to me, the second read of Wisdom of Crowds was stronger than the first one. And you get kind of past, oh, it didn't meet some of my expectations around narrative. And when you're over that, you can enjoy this for what it really is, which is like an exploration in catastrophic human failure. Right, which Joe let us know was, I believe, his thesis topic for his undergrad. And I held my tongue at the time when he said that. Human failure, (laughs) yeah, the study of human failure. (laughs) Exactly, when he told us that, that, I was, I said as much as I felt comfortable saying because I had the arc, right, but the book hadn't come out yet, so I didn't want it to be like, so I was like, of course, the guy who studied human failure wrote this world, but he also wrote this book, and I feel like this is almost his second thesis on human failure it's like (laughs) what would happen if we push society beyond its brink into pure chaos and and what would happen and it kind of unravels your structure from a trilogy and that's why i think we both like loved trouble with peace and that's why i think trouble with peace is probably his best work because it has Mm -hmm. all those things that we're looking for and expect from a fantasy story it's got the big battles and the epic victories and losses and definitive endings and all of that and it's super fantastic but it almost is like you could end the series there almost in a lot of ways like maybe another chapter or two to find out what happens but it keeps going the what makes this is such an interesting what makes trouble with peace such an interesting second book in a trilogy is that it's not a slump because it's not just like holding over into that third thing. It gives us that ending, that definitive ending of this epic battle of these two groups of characters clashing together. And it allows this third book to do a completely like go into the wild, into the abyss of just pure chaos of like, okay, we won. We're coming back to celebrate our victory. And like the empire is in shambles and like, madness has taken over and and what is that like and it just allows this third book to explore that in intense detail and some people criticize that as like it's writing itself around a little bit but to me it's it's an exploration of that human failure piece that joe was talking about in our interview last time and it's it's where i get a lot of the value out of this book of like yeah we could have had like a boring second book and let um Giselle and Orso Giselle <laughs> let let Orso and Leo clash in this epic duel at the end right but where's the fun in that like let's get that out of the way and and really sink our teeth into some new ideas and explore new thoughts and that's what I think Wisdom of Crowds does really well yeah I I agree with most of that too Charles and most. I think when I <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, enough where I'm, you know, I'm not going to nitpick at anything. I think maybe I had more of a mixed reaction than you to Mm -hmm. the ending of The Wisdom of Crowds. I mean, I think it's a fantastic book, and I I still like the ending. Maybe I just didn't love it in the way that, like, I don't know, maybe this is... uh, odd considering i was i was always a huge fan of the end of the first law trilogy mm-hmm. the original and you were the one who was kind of mixed on that and then came around this time i'm a little more mixed on the ending and for me it's mostly just i think in some ways i'm like he kind of did this already with the end of the 
first law trilogy and he'd taken different steps in the in the standalones mm-hmm. really to to kind of get away from this just like everyone's a, everyone's an ass like they're all just bad people even the ones that maybe at times you start to like a little bit of the main cast like they're in the end they're just making these kind of messed up decisions they're all unlikable and then the one character that isn't or so who's like one of my favorite characters in the whole <laughs> first law universe now he just gets hanged and i appreciate the willingness to go there and that's mm-hmm. part of what i just absolutely adore about joe's writing mm-hmm. is that he's like screw it like i'll hang or so you think i won't because he kind of Uh, no pun intended he kind of hangs around the book a lot longer than you would think (laughs) that's just poor taste based on just (laughs) i know (laughs) yeah so but he does he stays around the book a lot longer than you would think just from like this logical perspective where it's like judge is in charge here like she's really just letting the king hang around oh god i say again um (laughs) she's really just letting the king stick around there and not hanging him when she could it just seemed like something she wouldn't do so when i was reading it the first time i was like why is why isn't he dead and i was almost thinking oh i guess joe wants him to make it through this book or something like that and then after all that after he you know savine lets him go too mm-hmm. and after uh, the incredible last stand that bremer dan gorse takes his redemption yeah, right right I, I freaking love that scene and maybe we can get into that a little bit more sure but uh, for a character we've seen go through the heroes and all this stuff but after all that joe just hangs it yeah. and it's so the injustice of it is maybe i think hit me harder and maybe worse than the injustice of any of the other characters' deaths. And we've had a lot of unjust deaths in Mm -hmm. Joe Abercrombie's work for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say one of his trademarks is a willingness to do that. And I think all that stuff on top of Orso being such a likable character, trying so hard, then him actually letting Brock go when Brock was in a similar situation, when Brock was about to get hanged, Right. And then have Brock hang him. Right. Like the, just the vicious, vicious injustice of that, I think hits people hard, hit me hard. Mm-hmm. And I even, you know, we had on, on Instagram, we had a listener reach out when I said, I was like, oh, I'm rereading Wisdom of Crowds for this episode. She's like, how can you put yourself through that again? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, like it's a it's a tough one. The ending can be pretty tough, uh, difficult, and she was just like the Orso's death just yeah. makes it so I, I couldn't go back yet, and yeah. I felt some of that for sure. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's so and, difficult. So I think that hits hard, right? And let's just dive into Orso's death then, because I think that's I think a lot of the if you even call it criticism is around that of like that was a tough choice to make. A bold one, no doubt, but probably an unpopular one. <laughs> you yeah. fuel that hope the whole book, and then you dash it, you take it away so unceremoniously. 
in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. But this is what's interesting to me about the Orso arc, if you will, because you compare him to Jazal, right? We always said, oh, it's like if Jazal was self-aware and a bit more endearing about his flaws, um, then he would be Orso. And there's a lot to like about that character. Like, here's someone who was born heir to a throne and became a king and somehow didn't have that affluenza that Jazal suffered his whole life just being born noble. So mm-hmm. there's a lot you come to like about him. And he does a lot of really um, selfless things out of love for Savine, which we like, like letting her go, letting sparing Leo um he genuinely wants to make the world a better place. He's not even that against, like, he's not even that against the, um, what do they call it? I'm forgetting. Like, this whole Age of Madness, the um, the name of this whole great thing. Great Change. The Great Change, thank you. <laughs> you know, the whole yeah. thing this book's about. Uh, yeah, The Great Change. <laughs> like, he's not even that, like, against it. I mean, I guess he's more, like, easy to accept it. And to me, it, like... It parallels really well with uh, Rick's character, right? Because to me, this whole series, like, mm. if anyone personifies the progress that these two trilogies have made, that Age of Madness has made over the first law, and you're talking about, didn't we do this already in in the first law trilogy? We did, but we didn't. So much of this trilogy was about generational mistakes and learn not learning or learning from the last generation and, and facing all of these things and... You see Leo make the same dang mistakes that the nobles did in the past generations. And he even has his mother begging him not to make these mistakes, and he does it anyway. Um, so you you have that kind of generational uh, problems coming up over and over and over again. And you have even like Broad, for example, making the same mistakes Logan did. He's like a more explicitly mm. obvious Logan. Like we actually see him... Be hypocritical yeah. and, and, and go that to struggle drinking. with trying to be a family man also is yeah. another and like lying to yourself it. saying you're doing certain right. things for certain reasons when you're clearly he's just more self-aware than logan exactly because yeah. of that and yeah. the narrative kind of exposes him more explicitly than it ever dared to do with logan like it was very committed to logan not even realizing that he is that person where it's very obvious with broad so there's these kind of repeats but it brings me back, Dylan, to when you made this point, talking in the Glockta character profile, actually, where you're like, it's these little moments, these little breakthrough moments that happen with every cycle that mean everything. And when I look at the breakthrough moments of this trilogy, it's kind of like, it, to me, it comes down to Ricca, right? This whole idea of making your heart a stone. Mm. I think Ricca and Orso, the fact that they were together at the end, and they had this, they're kind of... Their philosophies are very similar in a lot of ways, and they're both really nice people and caring people. But the Ricka difference <laughs> is that she sees that in herself and pushes herself to make the harder choices, right? That idea of making your heart a stone. And she sells Orso out. Not because she likes Leo more, but because it's well, what resolve peace for her people the fastest. And put his resolve to the great change and put Leo on the top. And that's a hard, unpopular decision to make. But what I think is the breakthrough in this trilogy is that she's able to recognize that choice, make it anyway, and not lose herself. 
so that in the end of this book, and I do really... Does she not lose herself? She doesn't, and I'll tell you why. I really like the ending where she has the vision and she chooses... She was like, guys, I had a vision. and But then she looks around and she sees everyone having a good time and being happy and celebrating. And she goes, eh, it's not important. And then the series ends. And to me, that's really important. Unlike any other character we've had, I do genuinely believe she still makes the hard choices, but she has the best reason. She recognizes these choices are hard and she has to make her heart of stone. And she makes them anyway, but she never loses her... her her hope humanity. i guess you could say humanity perfect right and so they're allowed to have these celebratory moments and and i think that's the difference between the first trilogy and the second it's like taking these little moments keeping your humanity still recognizes that tough choices have to be made society is still like the idea of humanity is kind of a a farce anyway so like you have to be make those tough choices sometimes but holding on to that is a huge piece and having those little victories of like for example it brings me to uh what's his face uh, clover being able to just sit under a tree mm. and be like very good very good stab 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 like th- like it, those are like when you have a book like this where it's just pure chaos it's like how what is a happy ending and, and that's it it's these little moments of being able to relax and and celebrate or even just do nothing it's like that's like those little moments that we try and 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 gleam out of life and and fight for so to me i really appreciated that about this book it was willing to shake all of these like we need this fantastical poignant ending and it's like okay we need to get these glimmers of things and recontextualize our decisions and that's the progress if that makes sense yeah i like I like what you said there, Charles, and you had me reconsidering some things about Ricka because I, I guess I just end this like pissed at Ricka more than any <laughs> other character. And there's like the betrayal of it all because Ricka is the dog man's daughter and the dog man was such a good person. I feel like probably the best person of any of the point of view characters mm-hmm. we get, you know, it's probably him or Orso uh, or the like, just all around best like people of any point of view characters that we've had in the at least in the like two trilogies and i think you know you want her to make the noble decision over the pragmatic one but this whole her whole arc has been this make make of your heart a stone and then her dad's dead and she can't really she doesn't have that conscience, uh, like that angel on her shoulder anymore. She's just got when when your two shoulders are isterny fail in and <laughs> uh, and shivers. You you don't exactly have <laughs> like right. uh, this moral compass uh, uh, helping you out in the way that when the dogman was still alive, and then I I think that it it made it difficult because. She she takes down the person I like the most mm-hmm. in this book. And even if it's like, you know, quote unquote, objectively the right decision or mm-hmm. not anywhere near as bad as what a lot of these other characters 
do and are willing to do in this book. I, I almost walk away like most angry at her mm-hmm. just from this emotional standpoint of like, I like Orso so much. And I think a lot of people had that experience right. with Rika and they've soured a lot on her as a character. But I totally see your point about her like at the end being someone who's willing to actually bear that burden. Yeah. As And I think it was a burden for her too to oh, sure. give up Orso because it was actually the right decision by her people, right? right? If you start smuggling the king of the union, former king of the union, whatever, uh, out of uh, out of the union and then over to the north, you're just causing potential problems mm. when you just had this conversation with Savine about like, oh, can we modernize the north and improve and move mm. away from all this violence and uh, actually create this good relationship between the Union and the North. So I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see it a little bit more uh, unbiased by how angry I am about how Orso right. went down. And, right. I, and I'll just say one more thing quickly on yeah. the, like, these, like, ideas of what is an Abercrombie version of a happy ending. Right. To me, the best happy endings that we ever get there's two characters, and one of them is in this book. Uh, there's Vic, who... Yeah. It, and then there's there's Beck. Beck from all the way oh, back yeah. in the Heroes. And they make the same exact... As, and, and maybe also we get, I, I would say, Shy and Temple in Red Country. And the overwhelming choice that we're getting from characters like that, especially Beck and Vic, is just like, can we just step away from right. all of this. Right. And Vic is like, I'm just running away, presumably to the far country, and I, I'm done. And she right. has all of this talent, this competence. She could have been Arch Lecter. And we get this moment with her where, you know, Glockta is doing his best Baez impression, which we definitely have to get into yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of Glockta's evolution or de evolution or whatever. Um, <laughs> where, you know, he's he's playing out the same scene basically in front of the chessboard as uh, Baez did to him. And it's it's got this also like Pike and uh, Pike and Glockta feel to yeah. it at the end of mm-hmm. uh, the original trilogy where it's like, yeah, like, oh, you're just going to do the same thing because it's all you know and you're good at it and i'm positive you'll make this choice it yeah. all goes according to my plan it's like, oh, you get hurt you and you hurt others then it. you teach other people to hurt yeah. that the cycle they were talking about in the last exactly. argument of kings and how glockta converted pike it's like it's mm-hmm. the same thing it's like we can this is this is the cycle yeah yes and vic had basically been stuck in that cycle the whole time but what makes her stronger than a character like pike and maybe stronger than a character like Glockta is she makes what I think is the hard choice to move away from everything she's known mm-hmm. her whole life and just say, I'm out of here. And I'm so happy. Vic is to me <laughs> like the breakout star of this trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Who, If you listen to our little hatred episode, I think during that, I, I probably, I might've called her my least favorite point of view character. And mm-hmm. I walk away from this, like of the living point of view characters. <laughs> she might be my favorite. Right, and it's like she's this. It's there's something Abercrombie always does so well, right? She's like 
the best liar, the best like spy and all these deceptive stuff. And then she's the most loyal character in the whole book. <laughs> right. And she steps away and she gets the happiest ending, I think. And it, it, re- it made me think of Beck who kind of returns to right. his family. I liked Clover's end. ending like, too. That's a good one too. But I mean, Clover hasn't really removed himself. He's going to be in the thick of things. I think. Mm-hmm. down the line when yeah, I mean, he's citing bias, bias here so yeah. that's gonna have its own set of issues and i think you're right, right dylan i think like there's the characters that choose to walk away and it, and I, what i love about abercrombie's work in a lot of ways beyond just his characters and his insane voice which is only he's only perfected in this trilogy like his every pair every page in this just explodes with color and voice and character with and mm-hmm. like such a joy um but to me what i like about him is how challenging his work can be and how that kind of parallels the challenges that he puts his characters through and what he thinks his philosophies are and the challenges of being a leader because look you want to unite the north you can't do that and be a good person you can't do that and be a bad person like think of stour nightfall like he's just killing people Black left down. Black Dow, killing people left and right. Well, Black Dow was closer because at least he was clever, right? But he's um, better than Stower. Better. Than I mean, Stour. but Calder, Calder is probably the best leader the North has had in a long time. Obviously, yeah. he was more the he wasn't the leader in name, but everyone knew who the right. brains behind that operation was. Right, and I, I would say the best leader because he. I don't think Calder is like this this black bad person and he probably he would have succeeded to... if like um stour nightfall didn't go rogue sometimes right. and all these other things if the dog man he hadn't died like spoiled or... his son like right. that was like the he was a worse dad than he was a leader right. in terms of spoiling the right. the kid so so when you're talking about like exploring this idea of like oh do you throw yourself into this like power grab this world of government or do you walk away i think there's characters that this have chosen to walk away and that's very noble but then there's characters that choose to play and it's like all right if you're gonna play like how do you do something like unite the north how do you become king and there's good ways and there's bad ways and like he explores them all in a very understated way and to me someone like ricka is able to succeed because when this idea of making your heart a stone, making these hard choices, you make them anyway, even if you maybe love the person or um, it makes you uncomfortable or it's way out of your comfort zone. You have to do it. Or maybe it's risky or bold or daring. Um, You have to do it. And I think that's the key differentiator that makes Rick's character so good and what still holds her in my eye it's like yeah she united the north and the only reason she was able to do that was because she was able to make unpopular choices in the right moment like she didn't let the moment pass and she didn't um and that's another theme also like seizing the moment which a lot of the characters do in this book in different ways clovers yeah that's clover but also leo right (laughs) he's like i'm never gonna let a moment pass me up again he's like i was embarrassed in the second book and then he took his moment, a bold one too, um, in this book. But to get back to like 
you can't and this is what I think Abercrombie does is like you can't be someone in power without being unlikable in some way or doing something horrible. And then he says, but does that make you a bad person? And then he goes, well, not necessarily. And I think Rick is that case of like, oh, she hears a leader who killed her former lover and king of the union, like betrayed him. But she united the North and like the battle was really short and like her people are happy. And she feels bad about like she does regret it. But that's Mm -hmm. like this idea of being powerful and being a leader. It's like that's kind of what you were saying, Dylan, the burden that she's willing to bear for her people is what makes her a stand-up person. So when I look at his different portrayals of leadership, Ricka shines to me as kind of this almost ideal um, leader in a lot of ways because she's willing to let the good moments happen and make the difficult choices when she has to, and most importantly, be the one that bears that and not unload it on her people or the people that she loves or anything like that. Like that's what a leader is, someone that's willing to bear those extra burdens and make those tough choices so that other people can be happy. And she's allowed that to happen for the North. She's united the North. Like Shivers is in tears over the idea of a unified North. It's like the only reason she was able to do that was because of some of these unpopular choices that she had to make. But she never lost her humanity, as you also pointed out, Dylan. And I think that's the key. And that's what I think makes this book extra challenging and maybe not as, you know, off the shelves popular as maybe some of his other works are. But it it makes it just as good and just as creative in my eyes. That's well said, Charles. Mm -hmm. And I think... It goes to show how well done this character is, that Rika is, that we're able to have such a long conversation about (laughs) how she exists in this moral grayness and Mm -hmm. extremely well-written character. I think um, emotionally I felt very betrayed by her actions, but that doesn't make it uh, a worse character. It just makes a character that you sour on, like I was mentioning before. So... I also want to say it was a great payoff on the the prophecy because I did not see Ricka coming as the owl in the end of that. You know, it's like the lamb eats the lion and that, right, it, right the whole thing. Yeah. And eventually it's the owl that comes out on top. And in my head, just since the beginning, since I heard that, I was able to figure out, right, the lion's Leo. That's super obvious. The lamb is Orso. That's super obvious. It's like, who is this owl? And I was like, it's got to be Baez just because <laughs> it's coming out on top. And right. I'm like, Baez always comes out on top. And I think to have it be Ricka, because, you know, owls have this kind of like foresight reputation. It makes total sense with the uh, the long eye. And mm-hmm. I think also I, I do like this subversion of expectations when it comes to bias not coming out on top right. in in this book overall. Exactly. And how great was that, too? And she reveals later on, it's like, I haven't had a vision since I've gotten the tattoo. Mm-hmm. But like I there there's I think it's um shivers that says no strength like looking weak or no greater freedom than being underestimated, which is a philosophy I love too. And Rick goes willing to I sit think that's a is that a cloverism, the <laughs> it's probably clover one? And Tully, like they all have 
a version of that. Right. I know Shivers says Clover something like totally that at pa- one Parallels are, are always fun. <laughs> right. It's also and, not too dissimilar or from Lies of Locke Lamora. Yeah, Tony. Did I say Tully? Tony. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this idea of thriving in being underestimated, right? So she was willing to do that for herself, like embrace both the positives of people thinking you're psychic and be like, oh, stay away from water, you. <laughs> and then like you're, now it's like people believe you and they have that extra confidence in you because they think you can see the future when you haven't been able to for a long time. And then also people thinking that she's just this silly girl who inherited her father's kingdom and is like losing all of her friends and doesn't know what she's doing and is very chaotic and unstable. Uh, meanwhile, she's plotting a surprise attack. Right. So she's yeah. willing to live in that world. I'm, I'm like, oh, she's like a wild kind of savage, crazy person. You never know what she's going to do. She'll like lean into that. But she's very calculated and very deliberate with everything that she does. And she's willing to let some of those negative perceptions of herself exist so that she can come back and uh, undermine them and surprise them later on. So huge huge fan of Rick, especially in this book i think this is her book man like it's so so much here that mm. i really like about her as as a leader coming through in this and um yeah that idea of like sure she was unpopular and like i still haven't forgiven her for what she did to orso still haven't forgiven joe for what he did to orso but uh <laughs> you understand. have to take that up with him if we if we exactly. get back at some point but, but i have this yeah. one quote about orso i think we're moving past it but i want to make sure we say it before we go and this was something i picked up on the second read through and i was like joe mm. you sneaky bastard and it, it's a scene between um judge and leo and they're talking about like what's, oh, yeah. what's the end game for all of this and I read this and I was like, how's no one talking about this quote? I'm, I'm, I'm like, my jaw dropped. And uh, mm-hmm. so Judge goes, and again, keep in mind, Joe's voice is just never ending and so amazing as I read this. And it's like, I could easily just keep reading and I was cracking up the whole time when I was going back to type it into the notes. But um, have you ever read one of Swarbrick's books? And then Leo would have rather drunk Swarbrick's piss. <laughs> it's like, I'm not much of a reader. And then Judge goes, you should. They got me through some hard times. The last chapter is the sentimental farewell. But the climax of the story is a little bit before. The danger, the excitement, the triumph. You see, putting King Orso on trial, she shrugged her bony shoulders high. <laughs> the last chapter, it has to be done, but it'll get no one's juices flowing, eh, Broad? broad stayed silent and it's like (laughs) this incredible thing like he knew right he knew he was going to go into Mm -hmm. uncharted territory and he knew he was going to do something that people were going to be like what like where's the exciting ending and like where's the climax he's like it's inevitable it has to happen it's going to happen and like what can we do with that in this story getting up to that point so when you see this idea of like it has to be done we'll get no one's juices flowing like it's acknowledged like he didn't do that thinking we would be like best ending ever oh my god (laughs) (laughs) he did that knowing we were going to be devastated and and kind of underwhelmed but um it's the intention it's this idea of like look or so in a lot of ways really ideal guy really likable guy probably the best guy for their job in a lot of ways but um did not make his heart a stone. In a bias-led, in a bias-led union, he was the best man for the job. Yeah, I think. But, right. 
but he did not make of his heart a stone in more than one situation, and uh, he paid for it. <laughs> he did. And on on the note, along lines of uh, of that quote you just read, which which is a great grab, Charles. It's also one that I noticed on the second read, <laughs> and not so much on the first. Mm-hmm. I'll say, or so when he does get hanged first off there's the great <laughs> the great line where he's like to her husband leo dan brock i can only say how's your leg <laughs> and then it does go on to say iconic. he gave oh love it love it like or so just getting in that last jab there right and you know leo who's just got the he takes everything so personally the guy's not got rough skin when it comes to this but anyway he goes on to say he gave one last chuckle and it became a sigh let's get on with it yeah <laughs> that orso line is also one that speaks kind of meta it's like this has to happen so right. let's just get on with it with a sigh and so joe does he's willing to pull the trigger or in this case uh pull the trap door open and <laughs> oh too soon or so or so goes down. So and he always hated hangings. Uh, yes, I'll say that's another great... Because <laughs> that's a thing, when I think about this book, in terms of differentiating between the people be, uh, having some critical reaction to it in terms of the emotional, I felt betrayed, I felt disappointed by this, and I wanted this to happen, right? There's differentiating between that and the quality of the writing oh, in yeah. terms of how well Joe delivers on all these things he's been building throughout the whole trilogy Mm -hmm. and just the idea of orso always beginning so many chapters with this i bloody hate hangings (laughs) and you thought it paid off already in the second book when he let leo go it's like that's the payoff Mm -hmm. he hates hangings and now he's seeing he's breaking his uh former lover's heart and he he doesn't have an enemy has the the weak constitution the weak stomach and, and spares leo and you're like, oh, what a wonderful payoff, like poetic, beautiful, done. And then he brings it back and kills him, of course, uh, by a hanging. So, uh, and but he uh, does he made face of it. His heart of stone. He would have probably that's that's the big should have made your heart of stone exactly. moment yeah. for Orso. Exactly is sparing Leo and it bites him in the ass. Huge mistake. And then Ricka has the same, you know, kind of decision to make, and she doesn't go for it, uh, which is. Um, like the in terms of like the progress in this book and like what this book is about because it also makes it a fantastic grim dark novel because you could end it with this epic battle and then they have a meeting afterwards and like you know what maybe like we could be friends it's like that doesn't happen it, it, mm. it, it, it's always complicated and nebulous and there's no definitive answer like like what is like society hanging on hangs on by a thread like power leadership it, it's all this thin veil and it's not as ingrained in humanity as we might think and it can fall apart so quickly and it can go wrong so quickly and even when you give the people a voice they don't know what to do with it so like is there any virtuous answer and there's so many quotes along those lines too of like this idea of i'm trying to look for if i wrote it here about endings Oh, history is not the story of battles between right and wrong but between one man's right Mm. and another's Evil is not the opposite of good. It is what we call another man's notion of good when it differs from ours. And 
that's a very common grimdark philosophy. But I think Joe lives in that with his plotting too, especially in this book where he's just like, let's have the plot go gray and nebulous and to sh and see what happens with our characters too. And like, let's sit in this You're going to have to bleep that, Charles. Keep our oh, clean yeah. rating. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I remember. Do I remember to mark this? <laughs> do I remember to do this? We'll find out. But um, yeah, let us know, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, but w- with the point, I agree. And oh, God, I wish I had this quote in front of me. Maybe if I, I look through my notes on my phone i could find it but there's there's a great line i think in the original first law trilogy or one of the standalones where it's like the difference between a hero and a murderer is like which side you're on something along those lines and right uh, that's that's been I, I like what you said about it's something that a lot of these sort of grim darky morally gray type novels like to say over and over again Mm -hmm. but joe he doesn't just talk the talk he walks the walk with Mm -hmm. the decisions that he makes and i'll I'll say too uh, on this topic of making your heart a stone and uh, it's it's all in the perspective i I do want to get into some of this savine and and leo stuff oh yeah while we're while we're quoting uh, first off i to me, like the defining Savine moment mm-hmm. for me comes toward the end in a conversation uh, with Leo, and Leo c- c- calls her out for a lot of her decisions uh, and how she's ruthless. And Is this the conversation he, he, they have at the end, like when they're sitting at yeah. the table? That's such a great scene, by the way. And isn't that chapter called like? I forget the name of the chapter, but um, it's they the dismiss chapter the chapter f- is called it's called the villain, the villain. Yeah, that's and I'll get into some chapter. quoting that. Yeah, that touches on that. Uh, but he he ends kind of his chewing out of Levine and or Savine, <laughs> Levine. That's their uh, like celebrity couple. Swarbrick, write that down. Yeah. So he ends it with. But in here, let's not embarrass ourselves. You can call me treacherous, call me ruthless, but ask who I learned it from. And then she says, you're right. Maybe I came to regret the things I had done, and so I hated to see you do the same. The truth is, I played my part in it all. The lead role, even. I schemed and lied and betrayed. And you are the one who has paid the price. You and Orso and all those I ground to dust in my mills and turned to meat on my battlefields and let rot in my slums. I'm sorry for that. Sorry for Orso and sorry for you. Sorry for all of it. But thinking now, if I had the same choices to make, I cannot say I would not do it all again. She met his eyes and gave a little shrug. Maybe after all, dot, 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 I'm the villain. And it it does go on where then, uh, toward the end, uh, (laughs) Leo and her, they're still talking about how it's basically they're on opposite ends here, even though they're in a marriage and this small council is going to be a battle. And then uh, the closed council, sorry, that's the second time uh, I've done that at some point in these episodes. (laughs) We're watching House of the Dragon at the same time. It's so hard to keep these straight, but the closed council... So then he goes, I'll fight you if I must. I've never backed down from a fight. 
And then there's, please, Savine suppressed a wince at another twinge in her belly. This is no storybook. You might not be the villain, but you're for damn sure not the hero. <laughs> and I just love that exchange. This is That's like one of the shining moments of the, the book and a great way to kind of put a bow on this, like where do Leo and Savine stand in this story from a right. meta perspective in addition to their perspectives within the story. For sure, and I'm glad you pulled those quotes. That chapter is incredible, and what a great way to send them off, too, right? Where it's like, Leo's finally learned his lessons after being, like, pounded into the ground and suffering every defeat a human being can possibly suffer. To see him in this book thrive uh, is super... Uh, Well, in terms of his power grab, he thrives. Psychologically, emotionally, the guy degrades and he ends it still miserable. Right, so he ends it miserable, but he learns how to play the game and he succeeds at the highest degree, which, um, for better or worse, you could talk to. It's kind of funny. There's the quote uh, of um, Savine, like, hearing a now handicapped Leo, like, approaching her. And uh, uh, she sat in silence as he limped out, teeth gritted, clip, tap, grunt, click, tap, grunt. That mixture of cunning, ruthlessness, burning ambition, and constant pain was far from unfamiliar. She had heard it said that every woman ends up marrying her father. Until that moment, she had always imagined herself the exception. (laughs) And beautiful from Joe. It's just such a chef's kiss moment Mm -hmm. when... You take a character, remember Leo in A Little Hatred when we're getting introduced to him, and the idea that Joe could masterfully and believably take him from that. He was like riding on horseback, charging into battle, killing people. (laughs) Yeah, to being a character that reminds us so much of Glockta is incredible and goes to show abercrombie's character writing is just at another level from just about anyone in this genre and that being said it's so almost obvious that that progression could take place because a young leo is so much like a young glockta right it's actually a very similar evolution but we just wouldn't reading a little hatred we wouldn't have predicted that and then the idea on top of that to have savine marry him and just be like oh my god and and that like click tap right it's like (laughs) it it is just so well written to be like oh he's making the same noises as he walks that that was the callback from the first book right the clip tag grunt thing is a callback to the original uh, trilogy. So mm-hmm. that is also what puts that cherry on top, makes it that chef's so kiss good. moment, is invoking that. Uh, and, I mean, Abercrombie's a genius in repetition and, and getting his catchphrases out. You know, he uses repetition and callbacks um, more masterfully than any other author in the game. It's like, man, more authors should be rep- repetitive like like joe authors should be repetitive well well it's repetitive a like balance. joe I mean, right because like yeah. you said it yeah it's it's repetitive in all the right ways right like we we recognize the catchphrases that make your heart of stone make your heart of stone make your heart of stone but every time she says it it's it's couched in a different reality and in a different decision that she has to make it means something different every time so that's why it's not like oh she's not just saying um did I do that? Like again, it's like, it's, it's you know. But did I? Do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. Urkel. 
<laughs> yeah. Or you got it, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's he, like everyone claps afterwards. It's, uh, you know, Bojack Horseman. That's too much, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? That's. <laughs> doggy doggy. But, what now? <laughs> so, I. I I think that's really well said, Charles, about the repetition. And we even get those moments where people are like, can never have too many knives. And you can see how uh, these things have passed down from Logan's days, just word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And those are really rewarding for the longtime readers who've been through all of these books all the way through. And I, I think that's something worth talking about as well, Charles, is we get asked sometimes like, Oh, can I start with the age of madness? Can I just pick up a standalone? Mm. And of course the answer is yes, you can, but there's so much that is going to be lost on you that because Abercrombie has this restraint mm -hmm. in addition to his willingness to make these callbacks. Cause he's, it's not like, you know, we're talking about the, the green dress incident in House of the Dragon where it's uh, exactly. for anyone who's not watching House of the Dragon. It's just this moment where something is very explicitly stated that uh, the they viewer basically explained a metaphor on. in the dialogue explicitly. Yes. And it's not that difficult of a metaphor to pick up on. <laughs> no. And then in the after the episode thing that they do, they were like, well, we said it explicitly, but we're not too sure. It'll be interesting to see how many viewers actually pick up on this. It's like everyone because you said it. But anyway, yeah, Joe has so much respect for the reader and their intelligence and their ability to pick up on things. And at the same time, he's doing all these callbacks. And uh, I think just in those moments where things are, are repeated, in the moments where it's... Um, uh, you know, even the the decision to have Glockta in the end kind of pull a bias and have uh, they depend so much because uh, Glockta is kind of a secondary character in oh, yeah. this whole series and kind of disappears for this whole book. Mm -hmm. And I just can't imagine that ending being anywhere near as rewarding as oh, it is. How could it be? Because uh, you know, like. You know Glockta kind of realizes who he's like the only one besides maybe Baez and one or two other people that recognize the bigger stage that power's being played on in this world, right? He's the only one really that recognizes like, oh, Baez and Kalul and Eaters and like that high level of knowledge. And He's the only one kind of playing on that stage. So if you hadn't known that and seen that, these moments at the end where he defies, is able to defeat Bias is, is, um, it's while still it could be fun, I could imagine it, it just wouldn't have that punch that it does. Like I was, um, I was really impressed with that scene and I really enjoyed it. Where I was like, yeah, Glockta, go get him, Glockta. Like, you've got the, you've got your eaters now. What, what a great, um, what a great moment that was. Oh, I see you. That's... You have a face. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so interesting. Okay, this is. Let's get in it. Let's get in it. We, we actually, yeah, we actually differ here. I, again, incredible scene, great payoff. But I was like, Glockta, you put everyone through the great change? It's like, that is horrible. It's arguably worse than 
what Bias did in the original First Law trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like, Bias leveled the city, but that was, like, one go, and it's all messed up, of course. But, I mean, Galacta put them through, I don't know the exact timeline, but it's got to be, like, months of absolute chaos and so much death and mass murder just so he could be like and now i'm biased <laughs> it's like it, it's like by the end oh yeah this is gonna maybe be a controversial take and i'm not sure i actually believe it but just where i was emotionally uh-huh. at the end i was like i'm rooting for bias in the next round <laughs> i never ever thought i'd say that but again right. the genius of joe abercrombie's uh, character writing and plotting it's like i f- just feel like I don't know. Glockta did some of the most unforgivable stuff and maybe worse than what Bias was doing. And I just felt so angry, especially about Orso's death and uh, all that. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, Team Bias, Team Hildy, like she's awesome. And uh-huh. uh, Team this uh, little uh, Calder, you know, half Calder, half Stour with all the best parts of, of both. both that yeah. we've got training under Clover and yeah, that was a good scene when Rico go was chopping Calder's head off and it's like she's like and your line ends here and he's like well you don't see everything do you you know like right before yeah. he got his head chopped off you're like ooh spooky uh, so that that was fun but I Calder I, gets a good end then I feel yeah. like because he does kind of get that last word in he does like oh I see you now you're, you're not totally truthful you don't see everything you know that's such a great way to go out um, but to get back to your point Uh-oh. about Glockta. Yeah, can I say one more thing? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, is the other payoff that we, I feel like you can't get at all if you just start with Age of Madness is like Baez as a character in this series, all we really get is told, not shown, how mm-hmm. powerful and Machiavellian and evil he is, mm-hmm. right? It right. D- It depends on you. If you just read Age of Madness being like, all right, I believe everyone. I believe Glockta when he's like, stay away from that guy. And right. I know he runs these banks, all that kind of stuff. But you don't get to see it the way that you've seen in the original First Law trilogy. And also like in the heroes, you, you see it as well. So right. I think the payoff with all of that, like that, what it means to dethrone Bias figuratively, because Bias would never sit a throne. Can't see him. Gotta be behind the scene with the puppet strings. But the idea of what it means to take Bias out of that role and to supplant him with Glockta, you can't appreciate either of those things. The Glockta rise or the Bias fall Mm -hmm. anywhere near to the same extent. Nowhere near. And it reminds me of when Clover's ending, right? When he goes to... um the library that where Baez lives and all mm-hmm. that. It reminds me of when Logan first got there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you must be Baez the wizard because you have long hair, a long beard and the pointy hat. And he was like, no, Baez is the one who's like the the butcher wearing the apron. The so humble and looking scene, and yeah. unassuming looking, right? This idea of manipulating your public image to get what you want kind of a thing. And then Clover, I forget what he was doing when Clover came in, but he was also doing like something unassuming and off to the side, right? right? So these little like things of, oh, he has not changed. Like he's not going anywhere, right? (laughs) Like he's living his life and he's just going to get him on the next one. He's immortal. So he'll just keep it a few generations later. He'll go again. And that is kind of what couches all this for me because... Glockta's decision was basically let's upend society and kill lots of people 
but we can rip bias out from the roots, right? The, the banks from the roots. And it's hard to tell at this stage if he's doing what Rick is doing just on the next level. Right, because he's playing the chess. He's playing four D chess, and and Rick is playing three D chess. Right, so it's like that's kind of like the difference here. So, like, is he doing the the four D chess version of what Rick is doing, where he's making these unpopular decisions, he's making sacrifices for a happier future, or is he gonna fall down that same rabbit hole? And I'm not entirely convinced i mean yes it was a crazy thing that he did to kick off the great change but you have to ask yourself how else are you going to get Baez out of here here's an unchecked he's a guy with unchecked power who can live forever and he's got this society society hopelessly entangled in his clutches it's literally the only way you can remove that but the question is like do we even want to remove it or not is a good question. So you'd have to kill a lot of people and burn a lot to the ground to free yourself from the banking house of Valent and Balk. So, like, if you're going to do it, it's what has to be done. And Glock, the, the fact that he was able to pull it off in his lifetime against an immortal, magical being is insane. But, and the fact that he's able to understand the chess pieces and play them, like, you have eaters and all of these things is crazy too um and i guess if you're gonna have like an exciting action scene it's a great way to have that too eaters going at it in this how would you even understand what that even is happening if you hadn't learned about eaters and, and how their power works and stuff like you, you get to see um what's his face uh, every once in a while kick ass um Baez's eater who runs around and yuru sulfur yeah you get to see Yuru Sulfur do a few things, and that can kind of clue you into what eaters are capable of. But to know how they're made and what they do and like what they were, it's kind of cool to see by uh, Glockta playing those pieces. So it, it begs the question, though: Is what he did was it worth it? Is he mm-hmm. doing this for the right reasons? Um, I like to think that he is because he had those moments in the first trilogy of like it's the little goods that you can do, and I. Yeah. I don't know if he's really lost his humanity, like, which is funny to say because he's a torturer, right? And that's his whole style. <laughs> but it's very possible, right? It, it's not sure. And I think a lot of this is, like, questioning what would a leader do, and so you don't quite know because the book ends. So uh, it's setting up this clash that's going to happen in another generation or so. So I'm not sure. Um, I thought it was fun and entertaining and i was rooting for glock to still um but it does leave you wondering like is he just as bad as bias and i think that's a very good question yeah i'm not sure that he's not immortal and all powerful though that's the thing like as bad as he may be he'll die soon (laughs) or maybe it's like the u.s it's like the u.s presidency versus a a monarchy it's like yeah they might be just as bad people a lot of the time but at least we get them out in like four to eight years and i guess that's something (laughs) we'll call that a win over over having kings so (laughs) or immortal magi (laughs) Sure. With unchecked yeah. power. Yeah. So I I see that point. I think that it's just uh, maybe I'm short sighted, Charles. Maybe you have the long eye. Maybe. And I'm just I'm just sitting around here and I'm like, I don't know. All of this in this moment was really messed up. I know 
you know, you're getting at that quote, which probably is said by like, it's definitely said by Pike and I think Glockta too, is sometimes to change the world, we must first burn it down. I think we might have even got that. Don't quote me on this, but I think we got that from Glockta even in The Trouble with Peace as kind of a uh, mm-hmm. little bit of foreshadowing. And then Pike says it again yes. in the in the Wisdom of Crowds. Mm-hmm. So that's it's another one of those things that is fantastic payoff uh, and delivery from Abercrombie in terms of there's all this like a title I borrowed from a greater man <laughs> right <laughs> so it's, a t- over it's a title I wear sometimes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah everyone says that about the weaver <laughs> yeah exactly and in my head too is another I always assume whenever there's some sort of chain like that that Baez is sitting at the top of it and I was again wrong uh Eventually, I kind of moved away from that in the wisdom of crowds that it was Baez. Mm-hmm. Um, just I, I started to buy in that it was Pike. Right. Um, and that being said, great job that they had. Obviously, there's the burners uh, that they had that line and they had Pike saying it after Glockta. So it's all there to piece together, but you got to be able to. I think... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm short-sighted is, is what I'm getting at, Charles, and this idea that in the long term, it actually will be better to have burned down the world so that they can change it. It's hard to I, buy Maybe in it will that. and maybe it won't. And I think that's what's interesting about this book as a third in the trilogy and as the final in this whole arc and why it's met with this kind of conflicting reception because he's making these un... I'm going to say in air quotes, unpopular narrative choices to, I don't know, it's like explore these grimdark ideals in a more honest way than to try and have a satisfying ending. It almost undermines the whole theme that he's building of um, power, leadership, um, society. Like, it, it's so nebulous, and there's no good people or bad people. There's just people and different people. <laughs> and and this idea of what is that? And th- there's no, like, definitive answer to that. So to end your book in this, like, like yes, this is the ending. We're done. Pack it up. Let's go home. I'm so satisfied now. It almost does all this work that he's built up to this point in, in injustice. And... I think it's bold of him to say, you know, I'm going to make some unpopular choices here um, because it has to, I'm, I'm going to not necessarily get one's juices flowing, as Judge said, is, but he's, he says it has to be done. And uh, I admire that in a lot of these scenes. And I think this whole Glockta-Savine conversation that they're having and Glockta's kind of explaining his whole plan, it's the same way. It reads like a like a Baez would, and you're like, you, you swapped, mm-hmm. you're like, what is the end game for this? For your own grasp of power? Like, is that really what this was all about? Like, Glockta wanting to defeat Baez and take over? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And I think the whole point that Abercrombie's going to make is that it's just going to keep cycling through. Like, there's always going to be the next one. Do you wash your hands of it and walk away like a toyful? Or do you shoulder that burden and try and hold on to your humanity while you keep people safe like a like a um what's her face ricka right exactly and um there's a lot of different paths you can go and uh i think the point is it's just going to keep happening and you have to hold on to those 
good moments when you can get them and you have to make your own humanity and and carry your own burdens and what you decide to carry as a burden or or accept as part of your humanity is, is up to you and and it's not the satisfying answer that you hang up a whole trilogy on but it's it's true to being the lord grim dark himself right you have to mm-hmm. kind of almost accept that as an inevitability and and bring us there with with your characters and yeah these characters at the end they're in this nebulous state of do we like them or not and is this resolved or not and uh I don't think it was ever about liking or not liking or resolving or unresolving. It was everything else. It was these wonderful themes of like, let's push society and humanity to its breaking point, bust past it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's it's a crazy, ex- I keep calling this book an exploration because that's just what I feel about it. It's almost like a thought experiment. It's like a thesis, if you will, on human failure, like Joe's already written once before. And uh, to me, that's how it stands out. And I almost appreciate that more than if we got like the classic third book, like fantastic twist and the climax and then a res- strong resolution that everyone likes and is happy about. It's like, I feel like the nature of Grimdark is maybe everyone shouldn't like th- this terrific ending at the end. You know, it's like leave us kind of conflicted and leave us with something to talk about and think through and then let, let, let read it again and kind of recontextualize some of these scenes and then and talk through it and be challenged like it's mm. not super popular like i don't love being challenged but i appreciate it so much as part of the reading experience to, and then part of our experience of being able to talk about it is there is enough here to talk through instead of like oh that that ending was so awesome the way he like set up that reveal and then it paid off and then it was this huge battle and then they won and you're like ah nice it's like well we're kind of sifting through the wreckage right now and trying to figure out like like <laughs> what what has happened here and it's a unique experience and i applaud joe for making that like consciously he knew he even wrote it in the book that it was not going to be popular, but he did it because it was true to his artistic integrity. It's like what you were saying earlier, Dylan, about like, like, like writing some of these things that are thematic that to deliver on the reading experience, even if they're going to be unpopular. So that's how I see this book kind of shining. And I get the controversy and I'm not saying anything's wrong. Like readers deserve to have an ending that they like. But I don't think it's the end of the world to have something challenging either, especially when it's as well-written and explored as, as this trilogy has been. For sure. I love where you're going with the idea of being challenged as a reader and how mm. it invites these conversations. It's why it makes the first law conversations probably my favorite that we have mm. on our podcast is because there's so much you like to say Charles like meat on the bones here to explore which I I think of when we're having that conversation of is Glockta like bias is he worse than bias is he better than bias is what he did worth it that is you're invited to have that conversation because Joe Abercrombie deftly writes these parallel scenes Mm -hmm. where it's like oh this uh, this Glockta to Teufel scene is looks and feels so much like the bias to Glockta scene. It's very clearly something that you're supposed to get in the mindset of, oh, is he just like bias now? 
but we don't get these moments where he tries to tell you how to think about, right? We don't get this, you're worse than bias from some sort of uh, like voice that we're supposed to take as gospel, <laughs> right? Because <Yeah, laughs> we could get that. And Abercrombie has these beautiful moments like in the original First Law Trilogy where it's like Black Dow tells Logan, like, you're worse than me, but it's also <laughs> coming from blacked out who's like should we take anything that this clear villain says seriously so he has us sitting in that gray and i i think of a i think of an author like brandon sanderson who we absolutely Mm -hmm. adore as Mm -hmm. well but who i think when we have conversations about his books they go more into like oh wasn't this magic system so awesome wasn't the way that he delivered on these epic battles and they're so fun and entertaining mm-hmm. wasn't that cool but we don't get into i think the depth of like conversations about morality mm-hmm. and the decisions that these characters are making are they reprehensible or are they just pragmatic right and diving into that it's just it's delicious charles yeah. and that's <laughs> that's why even if we we find ourselves for for me it, emotionally scarred by <laughs> some of these moments and decisions yeah let's be clear the, joe has some apologizing to do but <laughs> <laughs> the mastery of the craft is right. so much there and i'll also say something about abercrombie's endings i think i don't think we've really discussed this is he keeps moving the world forward right. and he has no plans of stopping. Like even when, when we were talking to him about it, he was like, yeah, I pretty much plan to keep going. I don't know at what rate he's obviously writing a, we a asked about first law in space and he did world it next. say no. That's the thing. <laughs> yes. I said, well, okay, this is like, there's like a big moment for me that I think about from time to time is when I was like, oh, we're going to get the first law in space. And he kind of stops and like, you can see he also is thinking and he just repeats first law in space. And I was like, did I just inception a little idea into my like my favorite author's head? And I'm like, if if we ever do get first law in space, I'm taking full credit. Well, I'll split I it 50-50 with Joe. Yeah, 50-50 with Joe. And I mean, I was there. I you mean, know, it's it's our show. I want some credit too. Yeah. Okay. 40-40-20. Uh, I'll take it. You're obviously the twin. <laughs> I'll, take it. I'll take it. So, yeah, either way, he keeps wanting to move this world forward. And what he does with these ambiguous endings that don't tie everything up neatly is the conflict is still there when he jumps into the next book even and especially if he jumps forward in time some there's even more time for all this stuff to you know broil and uh, come to the surface (laughs) so even something like what we get with Savine and leo toward the end there where it's like oh this isn't like they both got on the same page now and (laughs) they'll rule this uh, they'll rule this country together it's like there's still so much conflict to dive into there. And we're not going to get a repeat in point of views, I don't think. Abercrombie has never done that. Um, I think outside of maybe sharp ends, um, I think he's never, you know, like he's jumped into short stories, I think, that are... Has he even done that? 
Um, and sharpens, I don't think. So. I feel like there was. So is a he few not exceptions. ever repeated a point of view? Uh, that's a good question. Like, yeah, let us know if because I mean, no one in this new trilogy is. A it would point be of view either from, from the like the little people and sharpens may have had a repeat sure, somewhere. A real but main like, point of view yeah narrative pov between the trilogies and the standalones i don't think there's so. no duplicates in the trilogies for sure and i'm just trying to think i don't think right who would it be outside of like a little people or whatever i oh you know what i think we get a repeat of like crawl current and crawl <laughs> in uh oh we, we get him in sharp ends <laughs> And we get him in uh, the in the heroes. So I think that actually, what a random character! <laughs> I feel like to be the one that repeats. That's a good, but I, I think that's accurate, trilogy. right? We get this like battle. I don't in, remember which one. Get, like, a, there's a skirmish with like a witch and stuff in Sharp Ends. It's just one of those short stories. It's not one that stands out particularly, mm. but I'm pretty confident it's a crawl POV. So I don't remember. Either way, either way, we're we're far away. But in terms of the actual novels, not the right, short right. stories, I, I think we've never had a repeat point of view. So I would be absolutely shocked if we get a repeat point of view later on. And where I was going with that is just a lot of these things are going to be happening more in the background. Um, if we Maybe jump we'll get a repeat uh, Hildy because she was in... One of the little people chapters. Oh, true. And she might be a POV in the future because she's part of that. She was the one doing all the finances for Pius. So, right. Does does Hildy Hildy Den Valent or Hildy Den Bulk sound better to you, Charles? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) I love that scene. (laughs) So, I I mean, Pius, we need. We need more bias in the next, uh, if, we, if we get another trilogy. I would love a bias POV, but it would almost like ruin the magic. <laughs> no, 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 no point of view. I think the only, and I've heard Joe talk about this at some point, the only, maybe even in our interview. Because um, <laughs> I, I think we ourselves? did talk about this with him. <laughs> yeah, I'm citing, yeah, I'm citing us on this one. I think that he said he's thought about like a short story from, Baez's point of view at some point, but I, I don't think we should ever get him as a point of view in any of the main. I kind of do remember just because him you don't want to see behind the curtain on on that. Like it's the beauty of Baez is you never know what this guy is mm-hmm. plotting or conniving. So yeah, I don't think we'll get we'll get repeat point of views. I I hope we get got Hildy would be a great one, and it's set up. Mm-hmm. Extremely, I loved her as a character. She's great. It's like adorable her relationship with Orso. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree, and it speaks to Orso's ability to like make meaningful relationships and friends. Like he was able to unite people in just a very unique way with Tunny and Hildy, and yeah. even one victim Toyful over uh, with his charm and charisma. So it's like. <laughs> Uh, come on she's like tearing up yeah during one of those interactions with orso mm-hmm. so uh yeah it's for all those reasons it those relationships are special so for her to have that perspective and then be 
trained by bias, like what kind of duality that might bring out in a human being, I don't know. Um, but uh, and she's like, I'm gonna take vengeance on these oh, people. Yeah, yeah. Was how she, she left is... with Orso. So she's, and that's the thing. I like Hildy so much. That's part of why I feel like I'm. Yeah, I, I'm like I don't want to say I'm team bias. <laughs> that just sounds so horrible. <laughs> you don't want to be team I, bias. I no, I'm not team bias, but why I sympathize with the bias side of this in a way I never would have expected by the end is I like Hildy. Um, yep. I, Even yeah, Calder's I, um, secret son here is uh, kind of an interesting fellow. I yeah, I mean, it's... Well, mysterious. I like this... Yeah, I like this idea that he kind of just picks up on all these things that Stour was... Like not was just not getting through Stower's head, and all these. It's like he's almost the antithesis of so much of what this series represents, which is mm-hmm. characters' inability to learn from the mistakes of the past and actually mm-hmm. take in these lessons, having to make the mistakes themselves. Mm-hmm. Where now we've got this one character, where Clover, who actually is weirdly a bastion of wisdom. <laughs> he really yeah, is when he, he's cause he's always wise. going through and he does this with, um, I don't know if we, we, I'm sure we get a name, but I'm blanking on it for Calder's other son where he's like, Oh, have you heard of all these heroes of old? It's like, uh, let's talk about, Oh, it's like, low. You heard of the bloody nine, Logan, nine fingers. Have you heard of black Dow? Right. He goes through all these big names. The guy's like, yeah, and then he's like, what do they have in common? And the guy's just like, dead. <laughs> and it's like, yep. And it's like, and I, I think he does say like, the great leveler is coming for us all. That's what the kid says. And he's like, well, you want to like race toward him with your pants down? Or you want to like, <laughs> like go exactly. a while before that happens? And it's like, he, the kid's like, mm, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. he's just taking in these lessons uh, from all these fallen quote unquote I love heroes how Clover just North. instantly warms up to him because the kid is just silent <laughs> and then answers <laughs> like and he, he's just like uh they're all dead and he's like brilliant perfect you're doing great and he's like stab 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 <laughs> somehow like, Stower so couldn't yeah. <laughs> and he Stower and, couldn't take in that lesson so no it's learned the hard way yeah and uh yeah the uh, and that was an interesting thing too with Clover like oh you were handed everything including your name and this that and the other and uh from the last book and he's like now uh and you squandered it and now we've like the people that he kind of like that wisdom he has of like earning your name and doing all that and then still being like wanting to live in obscurity is an interesting uh combination for Clover's character and I just love the end where he's just like giving instruction to the kid without even looking at him and he's like lounging under a tree and like about to take a nap he's like that's good that's good just like that you're doing great <laughs> and like you're not even looking is such a great peaceful end for Clover and um R.I.P. wonderful by the way I still think about that sometimes <laughs> oh yeah that is the ending of A Little Hatred is freaking amazing yeah. right I mean yeah. Uh, and the the Giselle death is yeah i mean that's that's a tough one but i mean he foreshadowed that one i mean we talked about this in a little hatred episode because when i i picked out when we were rereading mm-hmm. uh the original trilogy and in last argument of kings he foreshadowed the Giselle dying in his bed 
with a quote from Baez to Giselle in that one. As I talk about that, that delivery, I picked mm-hmm. up on that one, having already read a little hatred um, right. when we did that. So, right. yeah, little little hatred, fantastic ending. And poor, poor, wonderful. And poor, wonderful. It comes back to that other theme of, like, seizing your moment. Uh, it kind of goes along with making your heart a stone and seizing the moment. Because Leo says something similar, too. He's like, in the end, the only thing a man can really do is pick his moment, watch for the opening, and recognize it when it comes and seize it. And Clover does that a few times. He, like, he kills wonderful, which is not is conflicting but then he also betrays stour right he picks his moment yeah. to betray him so it's like okay well is clover a likable guy or not you're not really sure in the end like he killed his I best love friend clover. and all that i mean he's not a good person at right. all and that's part of that grim but... dark embracing of of like look there is no good and evil there's one man's good and another man's good kind of a thing and that kind of comes down to it's like is Clover condemned because he killed Wonderful or because he killed Wonderful he was able to survive another day and kill Stour? Like, or should he just walked away from the whole thing? Like, hard to say, hard to say. So. I love the interaction between him and Rika where she's like, after she's won, she's like, I don't know what to do with you, Clover. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I've, it's like, I've had people who've done like good things for me. I've had people who've done bad things to me and like never have i had someone who has done so many of both (laughs) and she's like going through it's like this is what you did that was good and he's like well actually it was only really for my (laughs) self-interest and then she's like okay well here's something you did that was bad and he's like defending himself he's like whoa that was in a really tough situation and she's like Every time I say something good about you, you try to tell me it wasn't. Every time I say something bad about you, you try to tell me it was. It's like, what are you doing, Clover? Yeah. I just, I, I just love his voice as a character. Yeah, he was kind of uh, able to hold on to some of his humanity too, I suppose. And he's like, I'll betray everyone, of course. Like, whatever keeps me alive is what I'm gonna do. So if you keep me alive, there's, there's not gonna be a problem here. Like, it's kind of his. And he was very honest, and his honesty kind of kept him alive with Black... He was in the clutches of Black Calder, and Calder's like, so you're going to replay, uh, uh, betray Vic, and uh, or Rick, I mean? And he's like, well, obviously, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... It's a great quote, I wish I had, where it was... It's, it kind of reminds me of the Jack Calder. Sparrow quote where it's like, it's the trustworthy people you got to worry about. You can always yeah, trust untrustworthy like people to be untrustworthy. You never know when the trustworthy Calder people are going to do that. something stupid, right? Like that was yeah. Jack and Sparrow. Yeah, Calder Fantastic says a parallel one. quote to that. Yeah. yeah. So I think... He's like, you can trust me to act in my best, in my self-interest kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It's... Uh, oh, sorry. I'm just... As eyeing some of these clover things, and I I did find that Baez is splitting wood, is what he was doing. Oh, okay. Going, going back to such what a was humble man, so unassuming. Oh yeah, you know <laughs> he's a he's butcher for Logan. Hands dirty, wood cutting wood for clover. It's full of crap. Yeah. Oh, I mean. Charles, I'm seeing seeing we're about at the hour and a half mark. Yeah. I think the only the only people I would say we did maybe a little dirty here would be Leo and Savine. But that we being said, about their villains. Chapter, we talked about which, mm, and the seizing yeah. the moment thing that 
Um, but there is some of the good stuff about Savine's betrayal and and Leo's conversion into full Glock. Well, not full yeah. Glock. He still has his Leo but rays. those are absolutely fantastic material for us to get deep into in our character profiles mm. that we'll inevitably mm. do for both of them. Inevitably. So I don't, I don't feel too bad. No. And we said at the I, beginning, we weren't going to get into everything. It's impossible. Yeah. I like where we did go. Just talking about this book as it stands amongst Abercrombie's work and like weaving mm. in a lot of the main themes for the ending of all these characters into that. Like, I think we did the right thing. Yeah. I feel good about it too. I think, and you know what? We definitely didn't do the Dogman's Daughter dirty. We definitely did not. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> we definitely didn't do the Dogman's Daughter do dirty. <laughs> <laughs> we gave Rick a lot of pop in this episode. So Yeah. I, I, Good on us. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Rick fan. I think in a lot of ways this is Rick's story. But um, she shares it with a fantastic mm. cast of characters and... Uh, yeah, I mean, is there anything else we definitely want to make sure we bring up before we end? Because now is the time. We are at that kind of, that that time where we should be. Right. This is our moment. This is our we moment. We have to seize it. Yeah. Are we, gonna, are we going to uh, wait for the opening, recognize it, and seize it for the outro music, I guess? Hmm? <laughs> That's not a bad seg. We've not, done better. We've done better. Um uh, let's see, I'm looking through my quotes here. I got some good ones from Savine that we didn't get into, but I think we can wait. Um, so, yeah, I think we're I think we're good to go. Um, oh, shout out to um, Swarbrick, by the way, who just kind of takes over the, <laughs> the great change and is just uh, running like this mock court. Well, he's not, yeah, I mean, he's like the chief prosecutor or yeah. whatever. He's not quite in charge but i do i do love just the use of the use of swarbrick and he's like character there's some of these characters in abercrombie's work and they they're just kind of still kicking around you know and it's like oh wow like swarbrick's still kicking around and he's still got a a role and i mean he kind of had a heel turn i did love that scene i think it was maybe in the trouble with peace where he's walking with the other author and they're walking through the streets talking to Sabine and they're like spinning her story and like embellishing it and making her look like the darling of yeah. the slums. Like, Ooh, that's brilliant. Right. That like, you know, <laughs> just like the wheels turning on how to just basically write this totally bullcrap image of a human profile of a human being to manipulate others is great. Yeah, that is a good one. Oh, you know what? I, I just wanted to mention, I briefly mentioned Gorse Redemption. I just oh, want to Gorse give another, another shout one. out to give my best Gorse. to your mother. <laughs> yes, that's that's part of what I wanted. Is like, uh, and uh, oh, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but it, you know he has that epic last stand, and then he says to Leo, he's like, "Do you believe in redemption?" And <laughs> Leo is like. Uh, you know, he's not super plugged in on that. I think he's, I don't remember exactly what he says, but he's basically like, uh, not really. And then Gorst is like, you're still young. Give it time. Yeah. And <laughs> <So good. laughs> yeah, I, I adore that. And he's like, I always 
held your mother in the highest regard. <laughs> and Leo, this has happened multiple times now. And it's another like amazing payoff if you've read The Heroes. Because you're like, otherwise, you're you're in Leo's shoes otherwise. I'm like, right. why is this guy keep talking about my mom? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just out of... <laughs> so, God, Gorst. What a character. Oh, what a guy. I mean... But didn't yeah. his voice I mean, kind of drop, those... too, as he was dying? Wasn't that, like, something Joe wrote in there? Like, I feel like his voice... Something about his voice changed oh, in I his last stand, that. I want to say. Like, now I'm going crazy. We both just pulled up our books. I have no oh, idea yeah. where that <laughs> was in unison, like, <laughs> synchronized reading. Yeah, we're both like, yeah. Oh. I kind of want to say his voice... Something uncharacteristic happened to Glockta's oh, voice be... in his final moments. You mean I, Gorst? Yeah, I Gorst. Yeah, voice Gorst. Oh shoot! Yeah, right. um, Gorst's voice. Um, I do want to say that that happened, like as he was dying, you know, because his body was shutting down, I guess, and he was able to have that one moment of because he was always insecure about his voice and all that, as we know from the heroes. Just yeah, I mean, it wasn't just, like, an internal insecurity. It was something every single person who heard him talk comments on. Right, and right. I just wish I could remember if that really was what happened. I want to say it was. I'm not I'm not clever enough to think that for myself, so... <laughs> Abercrombie must have written it. Uh, I'm just shocked I wouldn't... Because I don't remember it. Maybe I just kind of dismissed it or overlooked the idea that... It would that would be part of the redemption is like Gorst finally his his voice finally dropped. Right. But he's I mean, one of my one of my favorite characters, I think. Right. In, we'll have to correct the let uh, we'll have to find the scene and tweet about it later, right? Because uh that's definitely something I wanna know the answer to. And our listeners, we've kept them on the hook for long enough, I think. So um Tune in to our social media channels to find out if we were right about this whole Glockta voice dropping and his final moments scene was true or not. again. Of course, sorry. I, <laughs> I probably did. Gorst, 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 gorst. You doing okay, Charles? Doing great. I just think I've, you know, <laughs> kind of ran my course here. I, I'm only good for about an hour and 15 minutes, so we're way past, we're way past that. Um, but uh, anything else? Dylan, before we play this sweet, sweet outro music? Not that I can think of, Charles. I think it's time to play that sweet, sweet outro music. Let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping. Thank you, everyone, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, let us know over on social media. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with the number one at the end on Twitter. We really appreciate all the support you guys are showing us over there. And uh, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more, what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast. And that is super easy to do over on Spotify. That's where we're getting most of our listeners at this point. So 
just two clicks away over at the top of our Friends Talking Fantasy feed uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can also rate and leave a review if you're so inclined. But just listening is more than enough. Thank you so much for doing that. And Charles, I, I, I'm like right here. I found on it. The, I'm like, you found, found it? it? Oh my yeah, God, yeah. wow. You, this yeah, is I was breaking like, news, wow, We were everybody. both so caught up on this the is... gorse thing that we were like, <laughs> okay. we instantly went back to it. I'm here too. Here we go, here we go. The I'm going to read it. chapter's called Redemption. I'm going to read it. Here we go, guys. This is an FTF exclusive, except it's not. There was a red stain across Gorst's eye above the flat bow bolt, but the other one rolled up towards Leo. It seemed somehow he still had that smile. Do you believe his voice sounded much like anyone else's? Whispering in redemption, Leo says, I don't effing care. And he says, you're young, give it time. So there you go. His voice sounds like anyone anyone else's. Okay. Well, that's Charles. That I overlooked that for sure. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, that's that's great. And another beautiful Abercrombie moment to throw that in. It's subtle, and I overlooked it. So. Ah, uh, yeah, another beautiful Abercrombie moment, and I like to think that us getting to discuss the wisdom of crowds was a beautiful Abercrombie moment mm. in itself. So thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and I'm sure Charles wants to give his wonderful tagline here. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you all so much for listening. We made it to the end, guys, over a year and ten books later, and we've reached it. But uh, we've got more coming, and you know what? Just listening is is, is more than enough. Thank you all so so much for your support we greatly appreciate it and as always go forth and conquer friends